0: It seems like a recipe for social chaos.
1: Well, it definitely is. I mean, I think um, if, you know, the economy were to stutter and, and people would then start to lose their jobs so that not only do they not have a house of their own to live in, but they are living in a tent, um, there is, in my mind, no doubt about the fact that they would burn that tent down. Uh, and I think that uh, if you go back to 1968, To 1970, uh, there were two commissions set up in the United States: uh, the Douglas Commission and the Kaiser Commission. And those commissions, uh, President Johnson asked them to find out why are people burning down the neighborhoods that they live in. And both commissions came back with the same answer: they didn't. People didn't own the houses in the neighborhoods they were burning down. Uh, They Mm -hmm. they were filled with rage about the cost of living, the the type of uh, homes that they were in. And and they they reacted, and, and in my view, we are toying with that again. We are toying with you know uh, you know social unrest. Welcome
0: to dig life deep with John Aiden Byrne. Housing prices in America are at risk of a double digit decline with the US Federal Reserve poised to step back from supporting the market and indicating we could be in for a series of interest rate rises starting next year. That's the outlook of Dick Beauvais, the bank analyst at Odeon Capital Group, a regular guest with broad insights, including his latest opinion that America is in reality Gripped by a housing crisis with a run up in prices so high that some people are now living in tents. Dick Beauvais will explain it all in my interview with him coming up in a wee moment. Welcome to Dig Life Deep, the show formerly known as Life on Planet Earth. We keep digging for the
1: secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people.
0: I hope you're all well and we're talking about the US economy and in particular the housing market with Odeon Capital Group's Dick Beauvais just looked at the recent numbers the average rate you'll pay for a 30-year fixed mortgage now hovers around 3%, 3 3.13 give or take a basis point or two. That's a decrease of five basis points over the last week. So rates are exceptionally low. The 15 year rate is just over 2%. All of that is in danger of moving up. I don't know if danger is the correct word here but danger in the sense that we could be in for a housing crisis with rates moving up. One will impact the other and Dick Beauvais is going to explain the relationship there. Dick Beauvais is my guest coming up. Sure luck, it's grand to have you back. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud and insurance paperwork. My guest is Dick Beauvais of Odeon Capital Group, and we're talking about the housing market, Fed policy, and the U.S. economy. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Welcome to my show, Dick. It's great to always have you on. You have fascinating insights into the markets. We're going to look at housing. Prices have been on a tear. You say that may not continue, but before you explain your rationale, I just want to note that latest numbers are prices rose something like 19 plus percent in the year to July. So they certainly have been on a roll. But you, 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 have, you say this could all be derailed. Explain to me why.
1: Well, I, I think that uh, you have to look at why did it happen. Uh, and, and, and by the way, first off, before I give you that answer, um, I, I think it has to be recognized that if housing prices are going up 19 percent, year over year. I mean, the Case-Shiller numbers came out yesterday, they were up 18.8% year over year for, for home prices. That That is a sign of, of crisis in the housing industry. That, that is a sign that there is something definitely wrong in, 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 in the sector. Uh, but w- why is it happening? It's happening, in my view, because the Federal Reserve made the decision to start buying mortgage-backed securities some 18 months ago to stimulate economic activity. Now, when the Federal Reserve made that decision, it ultimately wound up buying two and a quarter, two and a half trillion dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities. So, so, so the net effect is um, when they did that, the first thing that happened was everybody discovered they could sell mortgages to the Federal Reserve and make 5%, 5 .5 5.5% on their money. The other thing that they discovered was that the rate on mortgages were going down. So now if you're a banker, you have this choice. Do I originate this mortgage, put it on my balance sheet, get two and uh, seven eighths percent yield on the mortgage for 30 years, or do I sell it to the Federal Reserve and pick up five, 5.5% today? Obviously, the decision that they make is to pick up the 5 5.5%. Five and, and therefore, uh, bank mortgage holdings are decreasing, number one. And number two, the share of the market that the banks have in terms of originating mortgages is has declined so that mortgage bankers now control mortgage originations in the United States. Now, the question then becomes, what happens when the Fed stops buying? In other words, the Fed is talking about tapering. If the Fed stops buying, you know, this forty billion dollars a month, who's going to buy these mortgages? Obviously the mortgage bankers can't do it. They don't have capital. They don't have, you know, that's not the business that they're in. They're in the business of making them and selling them. So the banks have to buy them. All the banks don't want to buy them if they're going to yield two and seven eighths percent. So the mortgage rate has to go up sharply and i would assume it's going to jump to 4% you know wh- whenever the fed does stop buying these mortgages you know, if it jumps to 4% then monthly payments on mortgages will go up sharply if housing prices don't come down and therefore i think housing prices will come down and i think 10 to 12% is a reasonable assumption as to the decline that will occur again once the fed steps away from the market and stops buying $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities every month.
0: Once and if it does. So we're still not sure, but that's what it seems to be suggesting. And right now we have a shortage of housing. We could get into that, but we'll do that on another show. We're just not building enough homes. So there's a shortage out there and uh, that's also driving demand.
1: Housing is interesting because people think it's a demographic demand which drives you know, the, the increase in, in uh, housing production, uh, but it isn't. In other words, if you take a look at the population of the United States um, from 2000 to 2010, the number of people 25 to 45 went down. And not only did that happen, but the number of children being born dropped. So the demographic demand for housing declined, and yet we had this housing boom in 2005 to 2007 because of the huge amount of money that was funneled into the market. What is different today is number one, the people 25 to 45 years of age are increasing uh, at a pretty good pace. In other words, the the curve has turned from being negative to positive and the number of children being born is increasing. So the demand for more space to live in is, is increasing. And at the same time, you have these fears created by the COVID pandemic that people don't want to live in densely populated areas because they think that they're more likely to catch disease in those areas. And if people are actually going to start working at home, which I'm I'm not sure that that's going to catch on, but if it is, then you need a bigger amount of space in the house for the office. So, you know, the, the demands for more housing are there. The question is, Who's going to come up with the money to pay for those to pay for those houses? Right now, it's the Federal Reserve. Later, it has to be the banks. So it's it's going to be a true conundrum.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch this and a little scary because we're looking at tapering. We're looking at uh, maybe three interest rates rise next year potentially. Mortgage rates going up in tandem. You were telling me about the housing crisis. Just each market is different. California is one of the extreme examples where prices are really high. And we see people living on the streets and some of those are professionals. These are not social miscasts.
1: You know, you're exactly right. I mean, in San Francisco, the price of a home is uh, well over $500,000. And um, I recall seeing on television, you know, uh, a reporter going through the huge tent cities, which are being built up all over the streets of San Francisco, interviewing the people who lived in the tents. And and what you said is exactly correct. One case, they interviewed a school teacher who was working in the San Francisco school system who couldn't afford a house, so was living in a tent in the street in San Francisco. Uh, The the net result is the latest uh, population survey done by the U.S. government showed that the the population of California went down in 2020. And uh, in the last three months of 2020, the net migration, people going in versus people going out, the net migration went negative. More people were leaving the state than coming into the state. Well, you can't have that happen and have a vibrant economy in California. And therefore, something has got to be done about housing prices and about the, the failure to build housing units.
0: Back to California, there, a lot of people can't afford them. They're moving out of state. We're looking at uh, maybe more interest rate rises and mortgage rates going up. It seems like a recipe for social chaos.
1: Well, it definitely is. I mean, I think um, if you know the economy were to stutter and, and people would then start to lose their jobs, so that not only do they not have a house of their own to live in, but they are living in a tent. Um, There is, in my mind, no doubt about the fact that they would burn that tent down. Uh, And I think that uh, if you go back to 1968 to 1970, uh, there were two commissions set up in the United States, uh, the Douglas Commission and the Kaiser Commission. And those commissions, uh, President Johnson asked them to find out why are people burning down the neighborhoods that they live in? And both commissions came back with the same answer. They didn't People didn't own the houses in the neighborhoods they were burning down. Uh, they, they were filled with rage about the cost of the living, the, the type of uh, homes that they were in, and, and they, they reacted. And, and in my view, we are toying with that again. We are toying with, you know, uh, you know, social unrest because people don't have the houses that they're living in. They can't, I'm sorry, don't own the houses that they're living in. They can't afford these houses and they just can't live in tents on the street.
0: Well, we saw a lot of social chaos in the past 24 months. This is going to be another version of that if it comes to pass and there's problems with housing.
1: Yeah, if, if, if housing if housing prices were to continue to rise at this pace because the Federal Reserve simply can't stop buying mortgage-backed securities uh, and, and incomes were not to grow at anywhere near the pace of the growth in housing prices, which, of course, it is not, uh, you're building up a tension, you're building up a social tension, and that social tension can erupt in, in a very unfortunate fashion.
0: With, with riots on the street, literally. Right, right, exactly. And then on top of all of that, the inflation we have out there.
1: Yeah, well, if the price of bread is going up at, at the same time, and the price of gas is going up at the same time, as you can't afford a house, and, and you can't, You got to work a couple of jobs just to live in a tent. Now now I'm being obviously too extreme, but, you know, you get the picture. In other words, if if the cost of everything is going up, if you can't find a house to buy, if if you're getting married because you're in that 25 to 45-year age group, if you're having that first child, you know, you're creating a lot of tension in the society, and that tension has got to be alleviated. Uh, and I think getting the prices of housing to stop going up is is, is one key way to do it.
0: I, I'll have you back sometime to talk about social housing, but the government is already involved heavily in social housing. It builds housing units and it has critics and um, supporters. With the money they're proposing to spend in Washington now, 3.5, they're debating. They just passed the $1 trillion down payment, the infrastructure package, on the House side, they could easily turn around and say, wait wait! now, five, $10 trillion would house everybody in America. Let's do it for the homeless.
1: Well, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful idea, and, and, and you, know, you know, it has a lot of appeal, obviously, but someone's got to pay for it. Uh, in other words, if we continue to grow the debt at the rate that we have been, and if we put more stress on, on the debt, uh, someone has to buy that debt. And if uh, the Social Security Fund doesn't have the money to buy it anymore, if foreigners don't want to buy it anymore, then the Federal Reserve has to buy that debt. And if the Federal Reserve buys that debt, it means that they're going to print more and more money, which, you know, since I believe in monetarism, the last person on the planet who does. But since I believe in monetarism, I think that's highly inflationary. And that just, you're not solving the problem. You're not solving the problem by borrowing $5 trillion to put the homeless in houses. There are other ways to do it. And in, in my view, borrowing it is not the way to do it.
0: But in some ways, there's a silver lining uh, to the decline in home prices. If that indeed does occur, let's say next year, supply may match demand. And for maybe the cash rich consumers they'll be able to afford suddenly while others will still be shut out of the market so there's winners and losers in these situations
1: oh yeah absolutely everything goes moves toward an equilibrium you're exactly right and uh, as it moves to equilibrium i.e uh, house prices come down and people's income or cash reserves go up you know we'll meet, we'll meet at a point and and we'll basically uh, have more houses built, but Congress is uh, unfortunately uh, you know talks a lot about what it wants to do for the housing industry and what it wants to do for low income homeowners uh, potential first time home buyers, but it does nothing in other yes. words uh, you, you've got um, you've got this guy um, from Ohio, Sherrod Brown, who runs the Senate committee, and he's always uh, explaining his uh, desire to see uh, low-income families get housing, middle-income families to have housing, but he doesn't do anything. Maxine Waters, uh, who is the head of the House, uh, if you will, uh, Housing and Finance Committee, same way. I mean, they both constantly indicate that there is a need to assist Uh, you know, the the middle and low income home buyer, but they don't do anything. They don't do anything to make that happen. And not only do they do nothing, but they certify the current system in which the United States government has taken total control of home finance and where the United States government now is the primary recipient of mortgage payments in the United States. It's, 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 it's incredible. Everybody becomes a socialist at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, some of the price rises in housing has been driven, of course, by the flood of liquidity in the market. And some of that is inflationary. And there's consumers, their number one concern right now is inflation. If we can believe all the polls, Pew came out a poll, and that was the number one concern: inflation. In some respects, I was surprised. I maybe need to, you know, have a wake-up call. If housing prices drop, I mean, couldn't that uh, offset some of the inflationary trend in our economy? Some people might actually welcome that.
1: Well, well I mean, basically, um, housing prices are not in the. It's it's they're not in the consumer price. Yeah. And, and therefore, if housing prices drop, it won't be picked up by the consumer price index. Um, but, you know, obviously, if uh, it costs less to live in a home, if your monthly payments are less on the home, then you have more money to buy something else. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, in, inflation is going to go away if housing prices come down 10 to 12 percent. I mean, as we've discussed before, you know, the money supply of the United States is still growing at an outrageous level. I mean, it, the, the figures come out every uh, fourth Tuesday of every month, which happened to be yesterday. And essentially, they show that uh, the money supply is going 13% year over year, which, roughly speaking, is double what what it should be, what the average should be, and certainly well above what the growth income is. Um, And, and, you know, people don't believe in monetarism anymore. I do. But (laughs) the vast majority of the population does not. Uh, But if, if monetarism has any, you know, slimmer of correctness, uh, that, that's what's driving inflation, and it's not going to stop.
0: Well, wait till we get through the next package in the Senate if they passed that extraordinarily high $3.5 package on top of the down payment on the House, the $1 trillion, make inflation of the recent past look like a cakewalk.
1: Well, the reason for that is that um, if, if we want to increase the debt, and apparently everybody wants to increase the debt. The Democrats want to increase the debt. And the Republicans, uh, given what they're doing right now in the Senate, they want to increase the debt, too, because nobody wants to pay for, you know, the expenditures of the U.S. government. Then the question becomes, if we're going to increase the debt, if that's what the name of the game is, who's going to buy it? Someone yeah. has to buy the debt. And and the fact is that uh, the Social Security Fund, which used to buy roughly of every dollar of incremental debt is buying about $0.02 right now. Mm
0: -hmm. Foreigners
1: that were buying about $0.30 of every dollar of incremental debt and now buying $0.05. So who's going to buy the debt? The Federal Reserve. And if the Federal Reserve buys the debt, how do they buy it? They print money. And if they print money to buy the debt, then this money supply growth that I'm, I'm moaning here is going to continue to be quite high and I believe that's going to be extremely inflationary.
0: Well, all of this, what we're seeing out of the Fed, and the, this is all a big experiment. This has never been tried before historically, right?
1: We had Q1 and Q2 and Q3. But I mean, the point is, on this scale, we, we've never seen anything. And, you know, I kind of joke about this. You know, I kind of think that, you know, when the Fed governors get up in the morning, they say, what we got to do right now is print some money. And then when they have their meetings uh, at lunchtime, they say, gee, what we have to do is print some money. And then they get to the afternoon and they have a a tummy ache from what they ate at lunch. And they say, I know the solution to this tummy ache. We've got to go print some money. And that's what they do. They print it and they print it and then they print some more of it. And then they talk about all sorts of things, you know, about the economy, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is they come back to the Fed and they say, okay, let's print some more. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't see how you can do that.
0: Well, we're going to come back to housing specifically in a moment, but it's important to look at the big macro picture because that impacts housing. And what do we add with national debt? It's worth repeating $29 trillion. Growing could be 32 33 and nobody knows how this is all going to end. It's called modern monetary theory.
1: Well, yeah, but it, it isn't modern. It's what the United States has been doing for the last 50 years, right? In other words, the, the United States has been relying on increasing the debt, you know, uh, and debt securities to, to fund the U.S. government. Uh, and, you know, that's why we go through this farce every year about uh, whether we're going to increase the debt or not. I mean, you know, bottom line, I mean, the, the, anybody who thinks that we, can, that we can get away with not increasing the debt, uh, you know, maximum or whatever, whatever you want to call it, basically, um, it, it's just yeah. simply understanding the, the, the massive depression that that will create, not just here, but
0: around the world. You envisage a potential massive depression with the course we're taking.
1: Well, of course, because all of a sudden, you know, the U.S. dollar loses its value all of a sudden. You know uh th- these trillions of dollars of debt owned by you know a variety of uh, financial institutions by individuals drop in value the way uh this this uh, you know con- company in china's you know uh debt has dropped in value uh and someone is taking these losses they're just yeah. huge losses which are driven you know janet yellen said it clearly yesterday she, she, she was serious. She wasn't making up things. She was serious. You can't not pay the, the interest on the debt. You just can't not do that and expect to have a reasonable economy.
0: Well, that's a good point because I had an interview with another economist recently, and he said, once rates start to rise, disservicing the debt is going to be a phenomenal problem.
1: No, you're you, you absolutely, I mean, he's right on, right yep. on the mark. But he's I start- guess
0: the other concept that people don't quite get, but I think it's starting to seep into the public consciousness. The Fed can buy up this debt, but it's, in in reality, there's something illogical about that. It's our own debt that we're buying. It's like in any household, one person picks up the tab, but ultimately the whole household is indebted.
1: Right. If the Federal Reserve continues to buy the debt. And, and, you know, the latest figures I have show that they buy about 50 percent of all of the incremental debt. Uh, And again, my my figures are, are, you know, a little bit out of date because they don't reflect the last six months of of this year. And and unfortunately, that's I I blame the U.S. government for not producing the data. But but the point is, you, you simply cannot keep increasing the debt and making the assumption that there's no requirement whatsoever to ever pay it back, uh, which is what every major government in the world believes at the present time, except, by the way, Russia. Russia Russia seems to be in good fiscal shape, which is uh, mind-blowing.
0: How does this end for the Fed? I mean, I know we've discussed it. Is there some, and I've asked you this previously, is there some kind of a recess or will it have to be cleansed? through the clearing channels with just a massive recession bordering on a depression so that everything gets cleared out and everything gets repriced?
1: The only way you stop a raging inflation is to stop printing money and drive up interest rates the way Paul Volcker did back in the uh, uh, 1979 to 1983 period. Um, And that's painful because it does create a recession and it does create a major setback in in uh, the households' uh, in incomes and wealth, et cetera, in the U.S. economy, and it is painful. Uh, and obviously, what the people who are now running the Fed are trying to do is they they understand they understand the issues, they understand the risk, and they're trying to figure out a way to ameliorate that risk. But if the Congress Continues to demand that the debt keep increasing because nobody wants to pay for it. Uh, the Fed will be stuck; they won't be able to get out of the way.
0: I saw another striking statistic: margin debt hit a record one trillion. That's a lot of borrowing to leverage your bets on the on the markets.
1: Yeah, well, no, you're right. But the reason why the banks say what they say is because income is growing, just as margin debt is growing, and therefore the ratio of debt to income is not at peak levels, to my knowledge, in the United States at the moment.
0: Okay, so it's so in that sense, it's not an alarming figure, but it is a very big number.
1: Yeah, it's a big figure, but but the point is, you have to you have to take a look at you know, some, you know, income and wealth, not just the increase in debt and income and wealth in the United States, wealth is soaring uh, for large portions of the population and income is growing. Uh, And, and, you know, basically part of this inflation story has to be the fact that uh, the cost of labor is going to go up and it's just not going to come back down again.
0: My guest is Dick Beauvais of Odeon Capital Group, and we're talking about the housing market, Fed policy, and the U.S. economy. I'm your host, John Aden Byrne. Large sections are sections of our society who have been doing real well. We know that during COVID, billionaires have gotten richer, and some in the higher income levels, and God bless them, but at the same time, there is this widening inequality That's been caused and driven by Fed policy.
1: Well, Fed policy certainly has exacerbated the trends by, you know, pouring money into the the economy and the money going into the markets, not into the economy. So, you know, the Fed was doing what it thought was the appropriate thing to get money into the hands of people to allow them to uh, buy things and, and cause the economy to recover. It hasn't happened the way the Fed had hoped. Uh, and, you know, that's why the government had these programs in which it, you know, made, you know, grants to, to people throughout the economy to get them to spend. But Keynes called it a liquidity trap, right, where the money supply keeps growing, but it's not being utilized. And therefore, the economy doesn't, you know, expand.
0: It's a very uncertain clouded picture Um, and at the same time we have the banks doing well and the lenders the mortgage lenders are profitable right now
1: if you take a look at uh, the core business of a bank it's of course to take in deposits and make loans and to provide other you know services for which they receive fees Uh, if if you take out you know what's happening in the capital markets uh, bank earnings are going down and have been going down for a few quarters. What you know makes that difficult to see is number one, uh, the bigger banks are all involved in the capital markets. I mean, Bank of America owns Merrill Lynch. J.P. Morgan is a major player in those markets. Uh, Citigroup is more, uh, you know, if you will, capital markets oriented than it is consumer oriented. But if you step away from those companies and you take a look at the banks that don't have capital markets activities, you know, you can see that their earnings are not going up.
0: Mm-hmm. And the,
1: so so what else obscures the issue? And, and this gets into bank accounting, which is somewhat frightening. Um, th- banks have something that they call reserves, right? There is no such thing as reserves. All right. In other words, reserve is something that someone writes down on a piece of paper uh, or puts into a computer data bank. But if, if you think that a bank has a pool of money, which it has set aside to take care of future loan losses, it does not exist and it will never exist. All right. So, so the fact of the matter is you, you now have this thing called reserve, which is in your computer data bank, and you can play with it. You can uh, increase it if you think times are bad, and you can decrease it if you think times are good. Well, you know, 18 months ago, times were bad. We had the pandemic beginning. Uh, This year, times are good. The pandemic, I I would say it's not increasing, but we've got all these vaccines out there. So the banks say, okay, you know, let's say J.P. Morgan, we're going to put $10 billion into the loan loss reserve you know, 18 months ago, and that's going to really hit earnings. And then this year, we're going to take $10 billion out of the loan loss reserve, and that's going to stimulate earnings growth. And that's what the banks did this year. The banks kept reducing their loan loss reserves, you know, in order to increase their reported earnings. But the thing that they're reducing doesn't exist. So, so the net effect is it's all accounting gimmickry, Uh, which is the the source of the good bank numbers that you've seen in the first half this year, it is not that the banks are making more loans or selling more products. That's not happening. Basically, because we have all these non-cash, if you will, charges or benefits that go to banks, uh, you're seeing the non-cash, if you will, charge, in this case, the loan loss reserve, being adjusted to a greater degree than the change of the operating earnings of the company
0: mm-hmm.
1: and of course the banks are working hard at playing the game with these non-cash numbers because they want to buy back stock uh, they, they they want to uh, you know the, the the bank will take uh, money which it's got invested at uh, i don't know 50 basis points and it will take that money and get rid of the investments, and buy back stock. When it does that, it does nothing for the bank's earnings, but for the earnings per share, it, it, it works really well.
0: The Fed continues to insist the inflation we have now is probably temporary and we're going to it's going to stabilize. Does that surprise you? A lot of people are worried about inflation, as we discussed earlier, and don't see prices coming down.
1: Yeah, well, the source of the Fed's belief is the supply chain disruptions. In other words, the, the assumption that the Fed is making, uh, which I think is a very reasonable assumption, is that uh, these supply chain disruptions are a short term phenomena. And once supply, you know, comes back on, uh, there'll be a huge increase in production. And, you know, there will be enough products around there'll be enough cars out there on used car lots, you know, to drive the price of cars down. Uh, so, I think that's the basis of their theory. People who don't believe that that theory is good enough uh, are people, I guess, like myself, who think that you haven't reduced the supply of money, you, you can, you're still creating more money. Yeah. If you haven't been able to lower the cost of labor, you know, if, if uh, you're going to take uh, and pay people, uh, you know, 15 bucks an hour or, you know, you know, right now I think Bank of America pays its lowest paid employee twenty bucks an hour and has mm-hmm. promised to increase that to twenty-five dollars an hour. You can't you can't turn around and reduce those numbers. Uh that would create political havoc. So um I, I think the Fed's focus is narrow in that it is looking at supply chain, and I think the Fed has got to widen that focus and look at money supply and look at labor costs and consider the fact that um, these supply chain adjustments are not going to be as rapid and maybe not as full as as the Fed hopes.
0: Back to housing. Could the housing market seize up in the next 12 months or so? That nobody's buying and there's great fear out there and the banks are worried about lending and consumer confidence continues to plunge?
1: Well, if if the Fed stops buying $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities a month, and you know the mortgage rate does not go up meaningfully, yeah, housing will seize up. But you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that instead, what will happen is mortgage rates will go up sharply, housing prices will come down, the banks will step back into the market, and, and housing w- will continue to expand.
0: So you mentioned a 12%. Will it bottom out at 12 or will it continue to, to decline? It,
1: will, or? it really depends on how high mortgage rates go. Right? In other words, pe- you know, when people buy a house, they're not so much looking at the price of the house, and they're not so much looking at the interest rate. What they're looking at is how much money do I make a month? How much do I have to pay for this house a month? Yeah. And therefore, it's it's a it's a the monthly mortgage payment is the critical variable which determines the price of housing in the United States.
0: If you were given advice to First time buyers, or somebody who wants to trade up or buy a new home, sell their current one, what would you tell them?
1: I would wait. I mean, I I think number one, uh, you know, maybe because I'm convinced that mortgage rates have better go up sharply when the Fed steps away, I think that uh, there'll be a topping off of, uh, you know, housing prices. um, And I think that, uh, you know, there's no rush to go in and buy a house at the present time if you can afford it. Right. And, and what we're disco- discovering is that people can't afford it to so wait anyway.
0: So wait, because prices are going to come down. So what, what's the math in that? Because interest rates are going to rise.
1: But, well, that's right. Uh, so so if, if people are buying the house because, you know, they've just gotten married, they've had a baby, you know, you can't defer that. You've, mm. you've got to do what you can to get a house. If they're buying a house because they're worried about living in a densely populated area, which might lead to more disease, uh, or they've made a deal with their company that they're going to work at home, which means they need a larger study, uh, then again, you can't defer that. You you have to do it. But if they're buying a house simply to capture the inflation that's occurring right now, I think that would be a mistake. I don't think that makes
0: sense. Why is Elizabeth Warren so mad with Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman? I saw a photograph of her on the Wall Street Journal and she was on TV. She doesn't want him back in the job.
1: Well, that's that's a, that's a,
0: is it her socialist I'm,
1: tendencies I'm, I'm, or something? I don't know if it's socialist tendencies or, or it's a soundbite, you know, politics, right? I mean, she knew that when she said that the uh, CEO of uh, Wells Fargo should be fired. That it would be picked up everywhere. She yeah. knew when she came back and said it again, it would be picked up everywhere. But in 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 both those cases, when she said it, she gave some rational reasons. She she had done homework and came out with a whole series of reasons as to why these people should be fired. And you know, one might have argued that she was correct. I would have argued in, in, in the first case she was definitely correct. Uh, but she didn't do that yesterday. She just said, you know, you have harmed the safety of the, of the banking industry. And she didn't say how or why. And she didn't give any reasons. And she didn't produce any of the usual facts that she has when she makes these soundbite statements. So I find it very difficult to, to agree with a woman who simply says this thing yeah. because she knows she's going to get it on television. Number two, you know, there's a broader issue there. If she is truly worried about the safety uh, and soundness of the financial system in the United States, as opposed to the narrow focus on housing, why isn't she looking at non-bank financials that are basically unregulated? Why isn't she looking at What's going on in the high-yield market, you know, and, and what's happening in terms of uh, the, the issuance of, uh, you know, of debt securities to companies that, that are, you know, generally are pretty weak. In other words, why isn't she looking at the whole system and, and why isn't she coming up with facts and figures as to why it's logical for some non-bank financial to charge 30%, you know, interest on a loan or why it's, it's fair for a non-bank financial to demand the right to go into your savings, your checking account the day that you get paid and take your take the money to pay them first before you have something left over, you know, to pay for, you know, your other bills like food and rent, et cetera. So in other words, if, if she was really worried about some of the excesses occurring in the financial system, why did she do something about it? Why does Sherrod, Sherrod Brown keep saying if the thing ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) Well, it's certainly broke if housing prices are up 18%. Why does Maxine Waters say, "Yo, gee, you know, I really think I want to get all this stuff into the, you know, the new bill, you know, related to housing, you know, and, and doesn't do anything, you know, tangible at the moment with bills that probably could be passed to solve problems. I mean, why are these people not looking at the overall problems and trying to fix them instead of trying to get themselves on television with sound bites, which everybody in the, in the media industry just loves.
0: The overall picture for the economy, we said uh, housing prices are at risk. Where does that leave other sectors, banking, the labor markets, uh, growth in the economy, and the overall well being of the American consumer?
1: Well, if you, you, know, if you recall, I said that the banks. We're selling their loans to the uh, Federal Reserve, right? So the question is, what happens to the Federal Reserve? I mean, if the Federal Reserve has $2.5 trillion worth of mortgages, and the interest rates on mortgages go up, what happens to the value of all those mortgages? They go down. Now, because it's the Federal Reserve, they don't have to mark anything to mark. Uh, If, however, it was a bank or another financial entity, They would have to mark to market that portfolio. But what happens to the equity of the Federal Reserve if two and a half trillion dollars worth of mortgages decline in price? What happens to the value of the dollar if it becomes understood that the Federal Reserve is underwater on a large portion of its assets? You know, the Federal Reserve has what, eight and a half trillion, something like that. Two and a quarter trillion is 25% of their assets. If the value of 25% of their assets go down, what happens to the equity of the, of this entity? And what, you know, what is backing the dollar, which has nothing backing it anyway? But if, if, the, if, what happens to it if the Federal Reserve has no equity? There, are, there are a lot of issues that these people have to work out. And I believe these people are very smart. And I believe they're patriots, and I believe that they want the best for the United States government. But we, we've created enormous problems to be solved, and, and they're going to have to solve them. And I hope to God that they know what they're doing, and they solve them.
0: On that note, Dick Beauvais, thank you for being on my show. I'm going to have you back. You know, maybe as we get into the new year, we'll just see where this is going. But I'm going to have you back, I hope, before then. So thank you for being on my show.
1: Well, I thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973 Five two nine four six nine nine. Email burndesk at gmail dot com. That's burndesk
0: b y r n e desk at gmail dot com. at gmail dot com. Subscribe for free.